You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as he is every day, Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, if you had a shot from 10 metres out directly in front, you reckon you could kick it? <laughs> Uh, nine times out of ten? Nine. Nine. Uh, surely, surely it's ten. I, I'm sure I've missed one from there in my in my, in my my life. Uh, I don't want to, you know. Uh, who, who are we putting on blast here? The whole Brisbane Lions team? No, it was there was one in particular, uh, Sam Skinner, uh, running yeah. into a, to an open goal, top of the goal square, straight in front. There was pressure behind him, but literally it just had to go straight. Yeah, the Brisbane Lions last night, it was such a fascinating game to watch because two teams that... We expect they're going to be thereabouts, probably going to finish top four. And Brisbane just kicked themselves out of the game. I will say that I thought Richmond throughout were the cleaner team. I thought their scoring opportunities came easier. They came the transition from defense to the forward line. Seemed to be a little bit smoother for them. But Brisbane, four goals, 17. And it was brought up right throughout the broadcast. But uh, same thing or a similar thing happened in the final last year. Uh, yeah, bad kicking. Bad kicking in this game doesn't matter so much for them. They're going to be pretty comfortable up there in their position in the ladder anyway, but they'll be ruined this opportunity to pick up a scalp because they have lost now on a, a couple of big uh, games on, on TV when the spotlight's on to Geelong and Richmond, and both times kicking probably hurt them in the long run. Yeah, the Geelong one, it was more that you know, inability to finish in the second quarter that yeah. Yeah, enabled Geelong to come over them, but... 4.17 is inexcusable. It's, <laughs> it's really like you can have a bad nine, you can go you know, six, six, ten, and you go, ah, that's bad. 4.17 is unfathomable. Like it is, I don't even, I don't even know how it's possible to just miss, just, just miss and, and kick just four goals for the, for the game. Like same inside 50s basically and just not be able to convert it. It is, it's a staggering number and it is very similar. They also, you talk about the one against Geelong, but they also had a game against, I think it was Adelaide where they, they kicked yeah. uh, horribly in that one as well. Yeah, they did. I, I think that was the one where Lockie, Neal, and yes. was it Lions or one of the Berry boys? I think kicked one goal 11 or something yeah. like that. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, you look at the stats in this game, the Lions were plus three in disposals, only minus four in inside 50. So they had their hands on the footy. No worries about that. The contested footy was close as well. Uh, and they kicked the first two goals of the game. That's the other thing worth noting. So, yeah, they only kicked four for the night, but they kicked the first two. The one thing I, I want to look at, because we've spoke about this Richmond team, and going back a couple of weeks ago, the question we asked is, are they going to be able to withstand the amount of players they have out? Because at the time, now, you look at Richmond and the way that they're playing with the high-pressure football, moving the ball on quickly, using the ball by foot, they look great. They look like the Richmond that we've seen the last three seasons. But going back prior to this move into state, they weren't in that situation when they beat Melbourne they weren't all that impressive. They had a bunch of injuries. And when I look at this team last night, that now looks, again, just about bloody unstoppable. They've got Asprey, Caddy, Edwards, Hawley, Nankervis, and Prestia still out of this team. So six guys that, and you could make a case that maybe one or two of them might struggle to get back in. But for mine, six guys that are probably going to slot back into this team at some point. Richmond are looking bloody terrifying. 
And who the hell are the guys that go out of this team? Maybe it's your mate Derek Smith who only had the uh, the, <laughs> the eight touches this week. But there are, there are a few options. But uh, I'd say out of those six guys, maybe maybe Caddy isn't as much of an automatic in. Uh, no. Maybe maybe Dan Curvis if they just want to go with Soldo and Chol there in that in that ruck. But the other guys, yeah, you know, Asprey, Edwards, Hooley, yeah, Prestia, obviously. They're all pretty much automatics to go in. There are, there are a few guys, but even then, these guys have stepped up and, and played their role at times, like Derek Smith. And yeah, Nathan Broad was pretty good last week. And then we've got Bolton and, Bolton and Baker and Short really step up this week. Sydney Stack was better. Yeah, McIntosh and, and even Pickett getting in the mix. So there are guys that you can... I, I can pick out names like yeah, Arts or, or Pickett or, or Smith. Or, or So let's call... Let's actually call him... Eglames Smith. Um... <laughs> Uh, those that maybe Higgins, maybe Chol makes way for Nankova. So you could see how it happens, but man, it's a pretty good situation to be in. It is, yeah. I think Soldo goes out for Nankova. I think Nankova will come back in. There's, there's a couple of other names. Jack Russ stands out as one that's probably just going to yeah. be squeezed out. But yeah, it's interesting with Caddy. You mentioned Jake Arts. He's continually kicking goals and he's involved in the play. He's a high pressure player as well. And Richmond, again, <laughs> are going to find themselves in a position at the end of the season. And other teams will be looking at this. We talk about Dan Butler with St. Kilda, one of the recruits of the season. It's not that he was necessarily doing anything wrong at Richmond, but they're so deep and they've got so many other options to come into this team that uh, those positions are just hard to come by. And guys, maybe we'll look at, at another opportunity. I know that's that's moving forward a fair way here, but it just goes to show that the depth they do have. And some of the other guys you mentioned with Baker, Higgins, and Stack, they were three of the top six possession winners for Richmond last night. They're finding the footy and they're finding form. And Marlon Pickett, after early struggles, has come back to form. And it's almost like, uh, you know, I know he had a high-profile start in the grand final, but it's almost like he needed more than three games of AFL footy to start to feel comfortable at the level. He's starting to look pretty good again. And the Tigers, as I said, uh, they are just they're just rolling along. They're back in the top four. It's funny how we are talking about how even the ladder is all season, but geez, now uh, they're looking like a threat to to anyone. Obviously Brisbane and even Port Adelaide. Yeah, well they're only two points behind Brisbane at this point uh, with that big win last night. Yeah, we, we've talked about Richmond here a lot. Is there anything to worry about from a Brisbane side side of things, or do you think it's just the it's just a, a real lack of conversion that made this blowout to be in the end double their score? But if you're fifty fifty, so you're ten goals eleven. That's another you know, 24 or 20 points on top of that, and it looks a little bit you know, more respectable. So is, is it just that, or, is, or are there some troubling signs there? I'm not too worried. I mean, if they had have got dominated uh, throughout uh, around the ground, then I would have had a little bit more concern. I, I would. I don't think that they're a team... You know, we just went on about Richmond's depth. I don't think that Brisbane is a team that has that level of depth. So when you take a Daniel Rich and a Dan McStay and a Stephen Martin out of the team, then I, I think that they will quickly uh, realize that they need those key players. I don't think they're a team that, that can miss too many of those because we have spoke. They're pretty young. Uh, and, and you know, they're not proven as Richmond are. But I, I'm not too concerned because I thought they were competitive. They're just going to learn how to bloody kick straight. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's the thing. It's, a, it's such an old cliche, but it's one of those ones that's actually true that if you, if you just, you know, bad kicking is bad football and you can have as many shots as you want. If they're not going through the big sticks, it's not it's not going to work out for you. And we saw that highlighted pretty uh, aggressively last night. Um, Kane, do we want to, uh, do you want to, do you want to quickly talk about Monday night's game? Well, you probably don't, but no, not really. It's, it's funny that we we talk about you know the Brisbane's inability to kick straight, but for the doggies, unfortunately, it was an inability to take opportunities and actually put score on the board at all. At halftime in this game, 
against Port Adelaide, they were, I mean, geez, they were dominant. They were plus 29 in disposals, plus 32 uh, in handballs. We know they get the handball game going. And they were plus 13 in inside 50s for only a three-point lead on the scoreboard. And then in the third quarter, it just turned. They they lost the inside 50s 17-3 in the third quarter. They lost the disposal count by 36. And Port won the quarter by 23. And that was really the difference. Again, I thought the, the doggies were competitive, but Port Adelaide... In that period of dominance, they had just put it on the board. Yeah, it was just it was just that third quarter really that turned things around. The Bulldogs kicked a couple of late ones, but also you talk about bad kicking, like two goals, seven in the second half for the Bulldogs. They had yeah. more scoring shots, seventeen to fifteen, and yeah, some of it is um, yeah not getting shots in the right spots, uh, and you're yeah, not having the inability to take you know grabs inside fifty. But the ball was down there; you had so much of it, and it, and it wasn't just in that dominant first half. It was the fact that then you were getting outplayed in the second half and and, and in the last quarter, like six behinds in the last quarter, like eight eight scoring shots to three in the last quarter. Um, it could have been a little bit closer. In the end, it feels like a big loss. It's only 13 points. So I think the Bulldogs needed the win, obviously, but going up against the top team at their home ground uh, after getting blown out by Richmond the week before, it's decent enough. And the, the avenues to how that game could have been won, they're pretty obvious, I think. So I was talking with my friends, and I do want to throw this at you because I think that you will have a better perspective on this than perhaps some of the outsiders that that's, uh, maybe aren't watching the Bulldogs as closely as you are. Right now, they're 5-5, five and five and the percentage really hurts, a percentage down at 92%, and they're in a really tough part of the schedule. We know all these teams are playing compressed fixtures, but now they have to front up and, and take on the Lions coming off a loss, so it doesn't get any easier for the Bulldogs. And one of my friends in the, in the group test yesterday said... And I think this was because they, they listened to the podcast. I think it was because we normally would do a mailbag. There's so much to get through. I don't I think don't think we'll get to it today. But he said, "Are the Bulldogs the most overrated team in the comp?" Now, when you say when you say our team's overrated, for me, you have to base it on what actually the expectations are for the team. Now, I thought coming into the season, I would have had the Bulldogs anywhere between tenth and sixth. Uh, I, I thought that they were going to sort of fall into that spot. Um, certainly. There were plenty of experts right through the season, and we've seen it because the Bulldogs have been up and down. Their, their best looks unbelievable, and they've been talked as a, as a premiership contender. I, I think now, I'm not sure that you can trust them consistency-wise to say they're anywhere near that. Are they overrated? What's going on with the dogs, and what what the hell happens from week to week with their, with their effort? Yeah, it's, the, the consistency is the problem, and I think some of the uh, yeah, off-season, pre-season discussion was, okay, you brought in these two ready-made players, Bruce and Keith, Yep. to hold down their positions. Now, Alex Keith has lived up to everything that was expected of him. I think he's been fantastic. Josh Bruce has really struggled. He had one big game against North. Um, he gets He's still getting to contests. He's creating contests. But I think just him being the only guy up there with Aaron Norton out, and Norton was really turning it around again in that game against Sydney, who he had no preseason with a knee injury as well. Uh, and he was starting to turn around then, hurt himself against Sydney. Um, it, it's been hard on, on Bruce. And I think yeah, Norton looks like he'll be back against Brisbane. Uh, and I think that should open things up for Bruce quite a bit. But that's probably you know, one of the major factors or one of the factors why they might be considered overrated. But when, as you said, when things are rolling, like, it's real hard to to get a handle on, on them because we saw what they did you know, in games against Essendon and you know, the smashing of GWS. Like, these are games where they you know, it doesn't look great at the time, but at, at, at now, but at the time, like they were, they were pretty big wins. So one those once those things are rolling, it's it is hard, but the inconsistency would I'd say yeah, premiership chance probably probably low, but 
all it takes, as we know, is for it to come together for a four-week period. And I think that their best maybe doesn't match everyone's best, but their best could be a top three, top four, but it just doesn't happen enough. Yeah, I think it's an effort thing. And for, for mine, you can always tell pretty early with the dogs. And that's, oh, yeah. why I thought, uh, that's why I thought on Monday. I mean, they had a red-hot crack. It was hard to sort of walk away from that and say that they didn't have a, a dip where you could say that the week before uh, the, the effort wasn't there. So uh, I think that's the, the challenge for the dogs, no doubt. And they are super young. And I think with someone like Josh Bruce, he needs someone else up there and they just haven't had another tall target to help him out. And he's been uh, he's struggled. He's yeah. really struggled. There's no doubt about that. Time for this or that, Kane. Which player would you take for the next six years if you could lock one in? Rowan Marshall, he's 24 years of age, he's played 42 games, or Jordan Ridley, only 21 and only 17 games. Which way are you going? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't know why. I don't know what made me think about this. And, and I guess ultimately, Rowan Marshall and Jordan Ridley, while we're using those for the purpose of this um, debate, I, I think, I guess... It's going to depend on where you fall on the importance of having a really good Ruckman or having that uh, intercept marking defender. And I I think I always come back to the fact that I I think most premiership teams, and of course you're going to be able to find examples where it's not the case, but most premiership teams or most uh, teams that are thereabouts at the end of the season have a solid Ruckman that not only gets you the taps in the midfield, puts those hitouts to advantage that we often talk about, but can do a little bit around the ground. And we have seen that. I mean, Richmond, Dan Curvis, a little bit underrated for what he can do around the ground. Brody Grundy, obviously, in a Collingwood team that's been thereabouts, has been fantastic. And Rowan Marshall is a guy that we've seen. I mean, he goes forward. Some of the stats for Ruckman this year in the AFL, he ranks fourth for ranking points. Uh, third for tackles, fourth for pressure acts. So he does other stuff other than win the ball, but then he's fourth for marks inside 50 and third in goals. For mine, I would love to have a guy like Marshall who, a little bit mature, so they picked him up as a mature age and made his debut when he was 21. 42 games under his belt. He, for me, looks like an absolute lock for the next five, six years to just be a guy that you're going to say, yep, he's going to give us great service in the middle, 28.8% hit out to advantage rate this season, which is higher than Nick Nat Grundy and Goldstein. I think he's a guy that you you can you can build your team around. And if you have the midfield to, to run with that, you can move, push him forward. We've seen him do that. He's so versatile. For mine, I think having an elite Ruckman is a thing that can make your team very good and push it over the top to a premiership contender. I think you're right in a couple of things you say there, in that having an elite Ruckman is key. But if they're not elite, is it worth that investment? That's where you can't, because I think finding, you know, average to marginally above average Ruckman is a little bit easier than finding really strong mm-hmm. key defenders. And there is a three-year age gap here as well. So in you know, for six years' time, Marshall's going to be 30. Um, we know Ruckman take that little bit of time. So you know, maybe he's that's all peak for him. In six years' time, Ridley is 28, and that is right bang, smacking. And he's doing stuff now. Like, he had 20 touches last week. He is yeah. the lowest disposal. He had his 14 as a key backman. Like, he's he's so strong reading the play, getting the ball. Like, he's doing so much. And at that age, with such little experience, um, 
yeah, I think the way that you frame this and the way that you brought this in is like these guys are probably at a similar level as to where they are in terms of impact on games. Maybe probably Marshall's a little bit higher. You know, the ranking points would suggest that as well. It is easier to have an influence. And if you look at ranking points, Ruckman and Italy always at the top yep. because they get so many uh, score launches in their game just from hitouts. Like that's part of what they do and that is skewed in that uh, rankings points thing. But having someone who's played 17 games at age 21, almost 22, that's doing what Ridley does, and the replacement level value of that position, I think that I think you can you can get away with an average ruckman if you design your schemes and systems around it properly. Uh, if you don't have anyone who's a good enough defender that can hurt the other way, that's a that's a real problem. So I'd take Ridley. Uh, I think that's totally fine. I don't think you can actually go wrong in this debate. The the thing about Ridley, uh, this is for all defenders, fourth in intercept marks in the, the league and 86% kicking efficiency while getting you uh, just a little bit under 300 meters gained per game. So, I mean, again, for a 21-year-old, like I said, I don't think you can go wrong with either of these players. I will say that I do think, and maybe this is why I sway a little bit towards the Ruckman, and People can the listeners can let us know on Twitter which way you would go. Maybe we can chuck a poll up here. But uh, I think I, I rate Roe Marshall really damn highly, and I think that that's what sway me here because I think, as you said, the elite ruckmen are very rare. And and the question would be, is Roe Marshall actually going to move into that category and be there for the extended period? I'm betting that he is. And I think that in the modern game, most teams have a guy that can play across half-back, take intercept marks, use the ball pretty well. They do. I think that elite Ruckman is certainly more rare than an intercept marking defender in 2020, and maybe that's why I went to the Ruckman. But, uh, you know, let's be honest, Ridley at 21, I think he's actually been underrated what he's doing this season as well because Essendon I haven't been playing the highest standard of footy, let's say that, but he's, he's been fantastic. And, yeah, he's played 17 games. It's ridiculous. Yeah, that's crazy. The, the Marshall stuff you, you talk about, I think his value is... It's very much modern Ruckman, so yeah, it's not yeah. it's not the hitouts. It's getting around the ground. It's pushing up forward and being a real danger in those areas. And you see beautiful that kick with, as well. Yeah, yeah, fantastic kick. And he's you know, he kicks goals. He's had four shots of goals in the last two weeks. Only kicked two behinds against the Swans, but still, yeah, seventeen disposals, three marks, two behinds, four tackles, you know, minimal hitouts as he moved into more of a forward hybrid role with Ryder there. But he's been really, really strong all season. He's not going to dominate the hitouts, but that hitout to advantage rate is strong. He gets around the ground. He moves so well. Um, he's super dangerous. So yeah, you can't go wrong. Uh, again, I'm just looking at replacement level stuff, and that's I guess me having maybe less confidence in him reaching that absolute elite ruck level. Mm-hmm. But I can see it happening. It's not like I go, "You're an idiot," and this can't happen because it obviously can. But I think just give me the 21 year old key defender because they are not easy to get. All right, what about the footy continuing tonight? A, a nice little... What day? It is Wednesday, Wednesday, isn't it? It is Wednesday. It yeah. Wednesday. A nice little Wednesday doubleheader, 5.30 start. We saw this uh, last week. It really threw me off yeah, watching on, the Carlton the Friday, Hawthorne geez. game. It was crazy. It was crazy. And actually, that was a, a 3.30 local time start. This one's up at the Gabba, so it's a little bit different. But the Cats and the Roos playing at 5.30. Now, you talk about making some changes. Both games... Uh, Melbourne Adelaide a little bit later on is the same, but plenty of outs. The Cats get Stephen, Jack Stephen, Joel Selwood, Reece Stanley, Tom Atkins. And they come back and Zach Guthrie gets a chance here. Parfit, Radigalia, Gary Rowan, and Colin Jasney are all managed and Constable was uh, knocked into oblivion just a few days ago, so I'm not surprised that he's not playing. And the Roos get a couple big ones back as well. Ben Brown and Jared Polek 
come into the team and a bunch of players are, are managed for them as well. This is what we're going to see, I, I, I think. We spoke about this a lot. And another player I don't know a lot about, but everyone seemed pretty excited for him to play, Lachlan Hosey. What do you know about him? Anything? Uh, no, I, I don't. I haven't seen him play yet. Obviously, he hasn't played a game, but he's a mature age uh, recruit, 23 years of age from South Australia. Um, yeah, it's sort of key position-ish sort of height, almost 190 centimetres, a little bit shorter than, than key position, but playing up forward, we'll see how that goes. Interesting that, that Brown is is back here. Where have they named Hosey on the bench, I'm guessing? No? Let's have a look. I can't even see his name. Forward pocket. There we go. Oh, yeah, so there you go. So playing playing upside, up alongside. Now, North Melbourne were fan, uh, alongside Brown. North Melbourne were fantastic last week. Now, let's a slightly different opponent coming up against Geelong and getting here, yeah, Stephen and Selwood and Stanley. We've talked about Geelong's ruck problems all season. Getting those guys back. I didn't expect Stanley back as soon as this. I think that's going to make it a pretty tough, uh, tough ask for them. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the Cats will certainly feel good about having a, a first-choice ruckman in the team, but uh, they also lose radically. So the interesting thing, uh, when I look at the inclusions for North Melbourne, obviously they get... Uh, ben Brown to come back in, but it reminds me a little bit of the lineups we saw going way back when Geelong played Hawthorne, and we were looking at Geelong's forward line against the Hawthorne tall back line, and and that time they still did have Radigalia in the team, but when I look at North Melbourne down back, Ben Mackay is twenty uh, two hundred and one centimeters tall, Robbie Tarrant we know is a key backman, and Josh Walker as well, along with Luke McDonald at times it sort of plays in those mid to tall forwards. The Cats have Tom Hawkins, and that's it. He's going to be surrounded by little guys, and they don't really have another option. Like That's not going to change. There's not going to be a second tall forward uh, it, that, that goes down there. So my question will be for North Melbourne, are they, how are they, how do they handle these little guys? Now, the difference with the Hawthorne game, I will say, is that Gary Ablett was there, Luke Dalhouse was there, and Gary Rowan was there as well, and they, were, they caused absolute havoc uh, against the Hawks. So... It's a little bit of a different mix. You've got some younger guys there. Brad Close playing his third game. Uh, Sam Simpson has only played a handful of games and Lockie Fogarty as well. So it's a little bit of a different look. But that's something that stands out to me when I'm looking at these two teams. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure that McDonald's going to play you know, down back. They might throw him into the middle on a, on yeah. a cell ward or, or a damage yeah. foot. He's done a lot of those jobs recently, just getting in there and really getting under under the skin and playing close to uh, to guys. I'll tell you what, one thing that I've noticed, and I've been meaning to bring this up and find the right time to bring this up in the show, is that so many commentators and media figures denounce coaches and oh, they're ruining the game. All these defensive tactics get rid of assistant coaches because they're bringing in because their reason they're too smart. They're bringing in too many ways to play, like which is a nonsense argument in, in the start. So they're talking about this: too many defensive tactics. Why are coaches going so defensive? They're ruining the game. The same blokes then turn around and go, "I don't know why you wouldn't throw a tagger on there. No, no <laughs> one, no one tags anymore anymore. You can't just let guys run free. You can't just let it be a free for all and face off. You got to shut them down. So which one is it? Is it too defensive or when they go to a non-defensive midfield strategy? That's the problem. So kind of both ways. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, we know the Cats have thrown Guthrie at players through the course of the season. Jay Simpkins obviously having a fantastic year. We know that uh, the Roos are, are missing Ben Cunnington in there big time. There's no doubt about that. Trent DeMont is another guy that's had a pretty pretty solid season for the Roos. He's been around for a couple of years now. And a guy that they've been waiting to come on, he's certainly got more of an opportunity in a prominent role without those veteran players in there. But yeah, I thought he looked it, good last week. Yeah, yeah, he's had a good year. He's, he certainly finds the ball. He uses it pretty well. But uh, this game's going to be interesting. It's it's going to be interesting. I, I I don't know. I mean, we've seen some strange results. We've seen some different uh, impacts from 
the shorter breaks. And uh, I will say, I mean, North Melbourne played to a level and how much you take out of a win over Adelaide in 2020, I'm not so sure. But, I mean, they looked pretty crisp on the weekend. Yeah, they did. They they were moving the ball super strong. Everyone's seen that clip of that yeah, two-kick goal that they yeah. scored from the kickout, which is super, super interesting. But um, one last thing before we move on to the other game that we've got to talk about. Um, interesting for North Melbourne that, that they played Cunnington in that game against the Bulldogs, and he hasn't been seen since, and he looked horrible in that game. Like They determined he was ready to go there, and then you know, six weeks later, he still hasn't come back. Yeah, if you, and if you look at the North Melbourne's win-loss record, the, the results out of the centre when Cunnington doesn't play, it's really, really ugly. So that's proven to be a pretty costly decision for them. They look like they're one of those teams that's that's out of the mix for the eight at this point. I, I think it would take a bit of a miracle run for them to get back in it. But the Cats, I mean, that, this is absolute must-win for them. We talk about the situation the Bulldogs found themselves in with a, a couple of tough losses. The Cats will be right there if they can't take advantage of this one. But the team that the Roos... Absolutely pulverized on the weekend, and I, I text you during this game, and I said, "That's it. The last two weeks, we've, we, we, I said, listen, we've given Adelaide the benefit of the doubt. We've tried to be positive. We've said that maybe they can pull an upset off, and I'm done. I'm not doing it anymore. But now they take on another team that's been uh, pretty miserable the last few weeks. Is there any chance that Adelaide are going to respond in this one? Yeah, this is it, Kane. This is it. We're we're doing it. We're doing it for Maddie Nix. We're doing it for the Crows. This is the one. They've got to get this one over Melbourne. I know that it's been two weeks in a row now, three weeks in a row. But if it's not this one, like when when is it? Like that's that's the problem. Like when do they get the win? They, and maybe that puts undue pressure on them because they're going to be thinking that like shit. Like who are we going to beat if we if we don't get Melbourne here, who were pummeled last week as well? Um, and they've responded pretty savage. You don't often see eight changes of which none of them are injuries or suspensions. Two new yep. players coming in. So they've brought in Fogarty, Mackay, Mackesy, Schoenberg, Scholl, McHenry, a lot of a lot of Max there, Walker and uh, Doty. Uh, and then out, McPherson, Gibbs, Strawn, Hardigan, Knight, Atkins, McAdam, Stengel. Two new players, eight new guys to the squad in total. Uh, you don't really see that. That's a savage change. I guess getting Tex Walker back is a big positive there. But... Like who knows if this is going to be enough? And then Melbourne um, making the change and did drop one of those big forwards. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't Jackson. Yeah, this is this is a big move from Simon Goodwin to say Tom McDonald is the one that's going to make way, and they're going to persist with Luke Jackson. I love it. I mean, I uh, listen where Melbourne is. We know that the expectations are that they had to play finals this year. Simon Goodwin is a coach that's under pressure, and that's why I think I love the move so much because it would be so easy for him to say well look Luke Jackson he's a young guy he's probably not having the impact that Tom McDonald could potentially have in this team for the balance of the side let's get the veteran in there but he's saying no I'm going with Wiedemann and Luke Jackson and he's backing those the two young guys in to get the job done alongside uh, the the smaller forwards that we've spoken about Harley Benal will be down there Bailey Fritch Jake Malksham Angus Brayshaw I mean on paper it looks like a, a team that can score so now it's about again uh, delivery into the Ford 50. And this has been a problem all year for the Melbourne team and quick ball movement and giving those guys a chance. But I, I love that he's, as I said, he's on the hot seat. There's rumors all this week that if they don't make the finals, he could be done with a couple of years still left on his contract. And he said, screw it, I'm backing the young fella in. Yeah, I, I really like what Jackson does. The numbers haven't been on the board yet for him. Yeah. But yeah, just the, the movement, the way he presents uh, for a eight, 
like he's not even 19, like he's an 18 year old, played four games. It's super encouraging, and you don't expect them unless your name is King to have an impact at this sort of age. Yeah. And Jackson's he's doing it like he's getting to the spots. He's not looking lost, like just some bloke with long legs running around, not knowing what he's doing. Like he, he's in the right spots, and I think it's the right move to to try and develop him. And I've, we've talked, or I've talked especially about Jackson yeah, and trying to big up him all season. And this is the chance for it. Yeah, and you mentioned Taylor Walker comes back in for the Crows. I thought he was really good the last two games yeah. before. Obviously, he missed that last one. But with some of the guys they've dropped, I mean, Bryce Gibbs, again, he's been in and out. It's hard to see him coming back, to be honest. At this point, it's been a bit of a disaster since he went to Adelaide. But Kyle Hardigan, Rory Atkins, uh, there's some guys that played in that grand final team that are out of the side here, Riley Knight. So um, some quality goes out, and we'll see. We'll see. This is it. As you said, I think if you look forward to the fixture that Adelaide will have this on paper is really the only game I think they have left that you say that they're a chance in and I, I don't I mean obviously the fixture's still going to come but if you base it on who they haven't played I think it's basically all teams that are, are right up the top the rest of the way here so uh, yeah uh, good luck good luck to the Crows yeah, we uh we hope and we hope for Maddie Nix's sake as well that they he can get his first victory as an AFL coach last thing from you came before we go Tom Lynch, what do you reckon about the old little uh, smack in the back of the head? <laughs> yeah, yeah, this was, um, I think he was actually lucky that with it, and it looked like his arm, like sort of his head just sort of bumped into his arm rather than the, the deck, but yeah, no, not a great look. I don't know whether he'll get suspended. I did see a lot of comparisons to the Tom Hawkins one the week before. I, I don't think that they're that similar. Um, are they? Are they both actions that ultimately aren't going to... Cause major major damage, yeah, I think so. But this one was a little more, you know, the guy's laying on his front. He's he's you know completely uh, out of the play. The ball's gone, and you sort of give him not just a little like a head rub that I've I've been against in the past, but a relatively forceful shove. I don't think that anyone needs to be doing that. Yeah, there's no there's, there's no need for it. And yeah, you, know, you would you would hope that he would, or I I would hope that he would get at least brought up for a week maybe they take it to the tribunal but it's just bullshit like this is no need for that sort of nonsense it's not it's not a head rub it's not like getting in someone's face it's doing it from behind smacking a bloke in the back of the head after he's got rid of the ball for what reason I got no idea uh, to be a tough guy like good on you like in, in people or he'd be the first one complaining if people were trying to you know, smack him on the broken hand which I'm sure they've done but you don't go out there and you know just smack blokes in the back of the head after they've kicked it like it's it's pretty cheap and uh, we've seen like Richmond you know, that similar things happened with Alex Rance in the past and he was punished for it, and this is exactly what should happen here. Yeah, I think they'll they'll definitely have a look at it, and uh, would be a shame for the for Richmond if he was to miss a game. We know they're purring along anyway, but he looked pretty good. Rewalt looked pretty good. Uh, Richmond, as I said at the start, right from the top, uh, they're looking pretty terrifying. They are, and Kane. I'm terrified to say that we are at a, the end of another Locked On AFL episode. Thank you again for uh, your fantastic work on this show. And uh, thank you for uh, for making it as great as it is. Well, listen, I, I joked on Twitter yesterday that, uh, by the way, we missed an episode. We apologize for that. Uh, you know, it's a crazy time. It's a crazy time. Crazy things are happening. Uh, I joked that uh, Josh refused to podcast because the Bulldogs lost. Let me tell you, if the Cats lose to North Melbourne, there's no guarantees I'm showing up tomorrow. I just need to put that on the record. I'll just be coming up, uh, just <laughs> going solo and uh, singing, <laughs> joining the chorus all, all yeah, exactly. the, just on loop, exactly. on loop for 30 minutes. Guys, subscribe, <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and give us a five-star review. I'm going to leave you all with a shout-out to Angelo Lekas. <laughs> 